Slices podcast, bringing you pieces of the world through lived experiences. Hey Josh, um, welcome to the Slices podcast. I'm super chuffed to have you on here. Thank you very much, Grace. Really appreciate it. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, I met Josh was it 2016? I mean, I'm saying for those wow. who don't know, I mean, everybody listening does not know, but um, <laughs> I met it was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 2016. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, we met summer 2016 on a on like a, a youth like a youth program, like a social integration program for young people mm-hmm. in London. And yeah, me and Josh were both like mentors in the program, and we clicked, didn't we, Josh? We just clicked. We did. We, did. we got on. Yeah, we got on very well, very quickly. It was nice. It was good. Like a house on fire. I don't. I don't know how the senior program managers felt about it. I think I thought that we were quite, we were quite disruptive. <laughs> sure, but we were the mentor sometimes with the children, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. I haven't. I don't think I've like seen you since then. So this mm-hmm. is like a catch up. But mm-hmm. um. So yeah, let's just start with um. Why don't you start with uh, a slice of Josh? So if there's anything you want to share with the listeners, anything you want to promote, or just a book or TV show, or um, the really cool villa, Josh is in a villa right now um, (laughs) that you're at, if you want to share that with the listeners. Um, So yeah, take it away with a slice of Josh, Josh, and then we'll go from there. Um, I guess something that I would promote is probably what we're going to speak about the most and is teaching abroad. Um, I would definitely encourage teachers or aspiring teachers to at least contemplate teaching abroad. Um, It's something that uh, my experiences in the UK was uh, not frowned upon, but there was a little bit of a misconception that teaching abroad was for people that were essentially trying to find a little holiday whilst trying to save a bit of cash and, and see the world. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'd say it's been, I mean, there's elements of that, don't get me wrong, but there's um, teaching abroad has been absolutely fantastic. So I would definitely promote teaching internationally for aspiring teachers, for sure. Cool. Thank you, Josh. So, I mean, you've, you've kind of already started the episode for me. So um, let's start with obviously a bit more about yourself, who you mm-hmm. are, what you do, um, how long you've been a teacher for. Sure. Um, so officially, um, I've taught as a qualified teacher for, uh, this is coming up to the end of my sixth year now. Um, but before that I had a couple of years out, I had a year out after college and I had a year out after, you know, uh, my undergraduate, uh, university degree, um, where I did some coaching, sports coaching and some volunteering in a school, um, as a teaching assistant and also as a, a PE teaching assistant um so as you can guess my subject and my expertise if you like is um Mm -hmm. physical education um and and sport yeah so um i got into it in my undergraduate um i did a physical and sport education degree at st mary's university um and in that i kind of was able to do lots of sports coaching and be involved in lots of different schools um both primary and secondary because uh, I wasn't yeah. sure at that point what age I was kind of interested in. Um, having gone into the primary, I was definitely confident that I was going to go into the secondary. So primary wasn't for me. Um, and then yeah. I went off to Australia. I was still trying to kind of play as much rugby as I possibly could at that time. Uh, I went to Australia to play rugby and work in a boarding school as a PE teaching assistant um, in the secondary school. Um 
came back, did another year as a teaching assistant, um, and then was lucky enough to get a place at the University of Greenwich uh, on a secondary yeah. PE course. Um, and then from there, straight into teaching in South London. I taught in uh, Croydon. <laughs> um, for South a couple- London. Yeah. <laughs> um, your neck of the woods, I believe. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I taught in there for two years. Um, and then from there, yeah, went straight into international teaching, uh, off to Egypt and then Vietnam. And then next will be China, which I'm sure we'll get into more in a second. Okay, cool. So when did you decide teaching abroad um, was for you? When did, when did that sort of, was it um, before you went to Australia or after you came back from Australia? When, was, when did you decide, you know, well, I don't want to teach in the UK anymore. I just want to become a travelling teacher, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a strange one. I, I, I was absolutely loving my job in Croydon. I was really genuinely enjoying the community of Croydon, the school. Like it was a challenging school. It was a, it's, a, it's a state school um, with quite a few kind of behavioural challenges uh, the teachers deal with on a regular basis and I, and I did really enjoy it and I really enjoyed the students there um, but I went into kind of um, pastoral management so I was ahead of year um, after my first year um, I was appointed head of year 10 um, which was fantastic really genuinely got a really good rapport with the kids um, good working relationship with staff but I kind of um, ended up being some kind of like behavioral management kind of role. So every day was kind of new strategies, new ways of dealing with difficult, challenging behaviors. And it wasn't why I went into teaching PE and sport. Um, I I kind of felt as if my sport and PE kind of expertise was being pushed aside to really focus on this Mm. behavioral issue. Um, And that was when, at the same sort of time as me kind of questioning why I'm in this role and, and going down this route, I was approached by a LinkedIn um, from a school in Egypt, um, a sporting kind of excellent school, if you like, um, oh, who wow. kind of threw this idea at me. How about coming to Egypt and being around sport and PE and excellence all the time? You were doing lots of coaching, you were doing lots of PE teaching for all year groups, uh, lots of international sporting fixtures, um, international sporting um, trips like skiing week, for example. Um, yeah. So it's all these kind of like, yeah, dangling the carrot, I guess, of this sport and excellence in PE. And it kind of just, it just made me think actually, you know, question where I am and what I was doing and what direction I was going in. So it kind of just fell on my lap, I guess. I didn't really plan for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, the Australia experience was great and I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't something that made me think, oh, this is, you know, I definitely want to go abroad. Um, it was more about the actual job, the nine to five, so to speak, um that I was yeah. kind of thinking is this for me where I currently am and then someone coming in offering that I thought do you know what the age I'm at and where I'm at in my career let's let's give it a go and yeah haven't haven't looked back to be honest oh wow amazing so first stop Egypt tell us tell us a bit more about that what what, what was it like um teaching in Egypt what's the curriculum like in comparison to the UK and how did you find sort of settling into Egypt and adapting to um, I'm, I'm assuming the you know the teaching style was very different so how did you adapt to that new environment mm-hmm. um it's it's a strange one um it, the school was Malvern College um so it's a British school and it's a British curriculum um okay yeah so so it's real it's almost like picking up a British school and putting it in Egypt. 
that's the way I would describe it. Um, <laughs> okay. You're almost in a little bubble, really. Um, everyone there is is British trained, um, or at least majority mm. of staff are, are British trained. Uh, the curriculum is the Cambridge specification, so exactly the same as what we taught in the UK. Um, it does have the IB, but again, that's kind of standardised across the world. Um, so in terms of like how it felt on a day-to-day, apart, you know, mm-hmm. minus the students, obviously, you know, 90% of the students would have been from Egypt. Um, it just it just felt like teaching in the UK, really, because it was, it was the same curriculum. H- having said that, the way you taught, so, so what you were teaching was the same, but the way you taught was very different. And the reason for that was because okay. you have students speaking English as a different language. You know, their first language would be Arabic. Um, so you have to accommodate for that. You, you have to adapt your teaching and learning approach. Um, a big part of that is, you know, the buzzword of teaching is differentiation. Um, I've, I thought, you know, I, was, I, I thought I was a confident PE teacher uh, um, and I could back myself to teach a good lesson. My first couple of lessons in Egypt were absolutely atrocious. Um, and the reason being was just because the students didn't understand what I was saying. Um, I wasn't speaking slow enough. I wasn't being clear enough. I was using words that, you know, us Brits would kind of think is normal and understand straight away. And yeah. you're not being accommodating for that, you know. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what I was teaching, exactly the same. How I was teaching it was, was, was slightly different. Um, yeah. In terms of fitting into to Egypt, the culture and, and the environment I was in, yeah, it's, it's significantly different to the UK. Um, you are aware of the rules, um, cultural kind of expectations. Um, obviously, um, you know, the religion is, is Islam um, and you're respectful yeah. of that. You're made aware of that as well. I was very lucky. The school were very informative before I went there. It wasn't kind of trying to scare you or anything. It was just making you aware. Um and things such as, um, you know, what you would wear in public, although Egypt's quite um, liberal um, in comparison to other kind of Muslim countries um, or Arab countries, um, you are aware of certain things, uh, drinking alcohol, for example. There are bars and stuff, yeah. but, you, you know, you, you were to stay in the bars and you couldn't be seen to be drunk in the kind of streets and things like we see in the UK. Um so yeah, there was there was cultural differences for sure, but I was lucky that the school were very informative and very supportive. So I felt kind of well equipped. I knew what I was getting myself into before I even got on the plane. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was great. It was a really nice experience. The, the people were nice and friendly. Staff were really supportive. Um, yeah, weather was great. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, all positives really. Yeah. And how did you, you mentioned sort of adapting your teaching style for the students in Egypt. Mm. What did that um, look like? Um, Like I say, the first thing was the language barrier. So I had to really slow down how I was speaking. Um, I would really have to kind of think about the technical words I was using. So the teaching and learning approach, Um, you know, if I was trying to introduce keywords and terminology from GCSEPE, for example, for year 10 students, if I was aiming to introduce that to the year nines in preparation for year 10, the level of which I would I was used to kind of delivering that in the UK, it was lower in Egypt, um, or if not lower, it, it, it required more time in Egypt, more patience. Yeah. Um, the students were very intelligent students in, in, in the school. Um, but it was just that language barrier. It was something that I had to really kind of be mindful of. Um, there were religious kind of 
um, considerations as well. So like during like Ramadan, for example, especially with PE, you know, what we were teaching during the, that time had to be accommodating for that. Um, you know, we had students that were fasting, obviously, during the daytime. And we're there trying to teach PE for three, four, five hours a day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there was those things had to be kind of um, switched a little bit and changed. Um, so the content, the content was the same. But like I say, we had to find ways around to support the students to get the best kind of results as we could, really. Um, and for them to improve yeah. as much as possible. Um, and also the cultural kind of, again, cultural differences of girls and boys. So, again, it was a British curriculum, so we were really passionate about having mixed gender classes. Um, and obviously, yeah. as you'll know, in the UK, that's kind of standard practice for, you know, especially primary and, and lower secondary students, that's standard practice in you know, a different cultural experience or different cultures. It, it's not. Um, and a lot of parents regularly would kind of expect us to split the classes, um, boys and girls. Um, so that came with its own challenges because we had a, our head at the time was very passionate about having the Malvern values. And part of that is preparing students for when they leave the school and go into the real world. And obviously, yep. as we know, the real world, we, we work with both genders. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, it was it was those things we had to kind of overcome and and work together and yeah we 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 got there it was it was good. Um, and how long were you in Egypt for? Two full years. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The place was nice. We did a lot of travelling around Egypt in, in those two years. It was lucky. Um, lots of um, well, you know, the term time. So we had about twelve, thirteen weeks off throughout each academic year, and did a lot of travelling as well around Egypt. Went to went down south quite a few times. And to a place up north yeah. called uh, Alexandria. Obviously, I was based in Cairo. Um, and yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. A lot of history, obviously. It's great. So after Egypt, um, did you come back to the UK or were you just straight onto your next destination? I came back to see the family. Um, came back to Devon <laughs> um, to see the yeah. family for a couple of weeks. Um, just a holiday, just chilling with the family and that. Um, nothing really um, just to catch up and stuff. And then, yeah, from there straight out to, to Vietnam. How did you end up in Vietnam, in Egypt? Um, again, a <laughs> bit of a random one. I, I, quite, <laughs> I was quite um, content in my, my job in Egypt. Um, I, I, I had got promoted as well to director of sport. Um, it's got kind of seven months into the first year. So, um, um, so yeah, I, I got a, mess a friend of mine who was moving into Thailand and had lived there previously for a number of years. Um, he'd suggested this job in Vietnam um, as part of North Angular School, which is a big kind of organization that have over 60 schools worldwide, really good reputation um, and just strongly recommended it. And I just kind of was at a point in Egypt where I was right in between kind of signing a new contract or looking at options and just put in an application form and, and yeah, just kind of offered me the job quite quickly. And the idea of going to Vietnam never kind of, I never thought about it before, but the more I looked into it, really excited over it and the travel opportunities and being part of an old angular kind of um, company was, was quite, quite appealing to me. So I thought, why not really? So I went for it. Yeah. And how long have you been in Vietnam now? Um, over just over 18 months now so yeah okay. two years here before I leave okay. so before we get into like the teaching side of Vietnam tell us um, tell us a bit more about Vietnam um, I don't think um, 
like you like you like you just said it didn't cross your mind to go and you know mm. teach Vietnam and that this might be the case for quite a few other people so um just tell us a bit more about where in Vietnam you're actually teaching in and what what's it like what's the culture like what 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 are the locals like and what's been mm -hmm. your experiences so far of settling into the culture and everything like that I mean Vietnam uh my experience of Vietnam is absolutely genuinely a beautiful country um it's the, the kind of things you can see around I mean different places of the of the country are so unique um so I mean I live in Hanoi which is uh, a bit more traditional than you would experience down south in Saigon so Saigon is a bit more built up area kind of feels a bit more London shall we say in terms yeah. of um nightclubs and and kind of bars and restaurants whereas Hanoi is a lot more traditional a lot more um food on the side of the road so to speak um sitting outside on little plastic chairs um drinking beers which you kind of you, you can see it online but you can't really appreciate it until you kind of experience it um and it's it's fantastic it's so unique and so different um it's not for everybody <laughs> um yeah. some people definitely come to hanoi and feel yeah i'm not really sure about this um and they go down south and, and they feel oh this is more this is more for me they are very mm -hmm. very different and then you kind of got in between you know in between um hanoi and, and saigon is everything kind of in between um it's just it's it's uh, <laughs> kind of hard to explain it's, it's kind of you've got really traditional values of the vietnamese and then you've got the kind of uptake of um the travelers and people coming in the tourists and things that are making it more kind of um modern yeah modernized i guess would be the best way to say in it um i'm currently in a well I'm near a place called Nha Trang which is down south in between hanoi and saigon um yeah. mainly for the beaches because the beaches are absolutely spectacular um and yeah i mean it's just it's a great it's a great country but like i say the people are really really nice they're very um very kind very giving very open door kind of welcome anybody welcome any kind of culture religion background color whatever it may be um like myself with ginger hair <laughs> obviously i stand out <laughs> i stand out here a lot and <laughs> The way that you know, it's, you can see kind of Vietnamese looking at me and wanting to speak to me, and generally I would kind of welcome it and smile. And as soon as you do, they just kind of want to come over and just talk to you and, and kind of practice their English on you and um, have a conversation genuinely. Um, and I personally find that quite endearing, um, and it's quite, it's, it's. Yeah, I mean, endearing is the best word, really. It's just, it just feels nice. You feel safe. Um, I've never, yeah. ever not felt safe here um, at all. Um, very kind of considerate, kind people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I found that right the way down from the early years of the students I've taught, you know, right up to the more elderly kind of citizens of, of you know, that I've come across. Um, it's a lovely, lovely place for sure. Yeah. And are you teaching in a secondary school? So I'm teaching, so it's quite common in international schools to have um, early years right the way through to A-level in the same kind okay. of building or at least the same school. Um, at least that's my experience so far. And so, yeah, I teach in a, like that process here, I teach in a British international school, um, which is a bilingual school. So we have both 
the British education system and the Vietnamese in the same oh, kind wow. of building. Yeah, so we've got we've got staff that are Vietnamese staff and then the British. I mean, actually, we've got staff all over the world, but yeah, we teach the British curriculum, um, and that is from the early years right the way up to to A levels, so to eighteen year olds. Yeah, and how has your experience been at the school so far? You're really, really positive. Um, it's a very well run, organised school. Um, I'm told it's quite common for the North Angular company to be much of the same. It's it's kind of, um, I guess you can call it a brand, and they kind of follow yeah. the same kind of suit across each school. So I'm told. Um, so I mean, before I got here, the HR department were just unbelievable. How organised things were, like my visa, you know, my passport, my working visa, um, the documents that would need to be done by the you know the Vietnamese embassy, etc absolutely faultless and was all done well in advance um they flew me over um put me up in accommodation paid for um you know a settling allowance to kind of give you the local currency because the vietnamese currency is not easy to come by in the uk things like that just just made such a difference um for my experience and it's so much easier um and yeah the, you know the school have just been been fantastic really really positive yeah yeah. And speaking of um, sort of HR and visas, mm. what is the sort of admin process behind going to teach in Egypt and Vietnam? What's what? How, well, how much paperwork um, or how little, depending on the country, I'm not sure, is involved moving to both of those countries? Yeah, I mean, so there's, I've got both of those countries and I'm currently in the process of completing the one for China. And my experience so far is all three have been considerably different. Um, yep. Egypt was, if I'm honest, fairly straightforward, quite quite simple. Um, you, by law, you're required to have your undergraduate, your postgraduate, your Q2, your qualified teacher status, um, and a police check um, legalized by a lawyer. So you, you take those documents into a lawyer in the UK. They confirm they are yours. They sign it. Um, they charge you quite a lot of money, and then you take the documents to like your, the uh, Egyptian embassy, they then um, attest or sorry, they, they legalize the papers for their, um, their needs, let's say, <laughs> I don't really know what it means, but they, they confirm yeah. for whatever it is they need for the visa. And then they give you a 30 day kind of entry visa. Um, and then that allows you into the country for 30 days. In that 30 days, the organization you are working with, they sort you out a working visa, which in Egypt was 12 months, um, whereas in Vietnam, I believe it's, well, yeah, it, was, it was two years. So I, I arrived, got the working visa, and that was me covered for the two years. But Egypt, we had to renew ours after 12 months. Um, okay. China is even more difficult. It's a similar process to begin with, but the Chinese have their own way. Of doing things so once I arrive um, my school have I believe it's two weeks to complete my working visa but I, the working visa I believe only lasts eight months um, so it has oh, to wow. yeah so it's a lot shorter um, and I also believe there's other things with Chinese uh, law such as drug tests and health checks and other various tests you've got to complete to make sure you're not um, bringing any bad things into the country I believe yeah so china is going to be destination number three four number three yeah that's it number three mm. so what why china why why are you plan why are you planning to leave vietnam that is a good question <laughs> um <laughs> uh because i genuinely do love vietnam vietnam has been fantastic and the school's great as well but um honestly it's just career 
Um, I was, again, similar situation to Egypt around the same sort of time, um, I guess two years ago, where my contract was coming up to renewal. So we get a two-year contract is the general kind of rule of thumb that you get a new two-year contract. And my current school were offering me a new two-year contract, which is always good because you never know whether you've done a good job or not. Um, and I was in the, I was going to sign it and, and, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then I was again approached by a LinkedIn. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. By teachers <laughs> update your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yeah. I would really recommend it for sure. Um, yeah. Um, I was approached by a recruitment agency in China, quite a well-known recruitment called DuPont education. Um, and I, I'm told they're very big in China. Um, and I, yeah, I was approached and they just said your CV, um, your experience, you know, your age, etc., fits the bill for what we're currently looking for. Would you be interested, um, if I were to put your CV forward to our, um, I think it was assist, assistant head teacher at the time. Um, and again, I was at the point where I was kind of in a comfortable position and I just said, yeah, sure. Why not? If, if you want to, you know, I'm not kind of being disrespectful to my current head or anything. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and then I got a call from the assistant head saying, can we arrange an interview for a director of sport position? Um, so it was a big, it's a big promotion because also it's a 2000 student school. Um, yeah. and it's. I mean, yeah. huge, huge facilities, huge campus, boarding school. And it's also King's College School, um, which has got oh. a great reputation in the UK, which I was aware of. Um, so it was ticking a lot of boxes before I even had the interview. Um, then I had the initial interviews for stage one for the director of sport position. Went really well, got really positive feedback. And I also got a really good kind of vibe and feeling from the assistant head. Um, and he put me in touch for the next round with the principal. And again, it went really well. Um, at which point I spoke to my current principal to kind of seek advice and, and be transparent and honest about the situation. He was fantastic and really supportive as well, which kind of helped with the situation. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the more I got into it, I found out it was a department of 15 staff um, that I would be managing um, including the sports department, the swimming department and the PE side of things within the whole school department, um, covering from age uh, five-year-olds right up to, well, it will be 18-year-olds. Um, so it's just a really big, really big promotion for yeah. me, really big career move for me in a, in a great kind of school with great facilities. Um, and it was one of those where I just thought, you know what, for my career, I, I can't really say no. In terms of China, <laughs> um, I've n have no knowledge of China or real kind of um, interest, I guess, <laughs> beforehand um, to go to China. But yeah, it just kind of yeah. fell on my lap. And career-wise, I couldn't I couldn't really say no, to be honest. So you mentioned. Um, well, before I ask my question, I wanted to ask: um, Are you given accommodation? in these um, uh, schools across, you know, Egypt, Vietnam and China? Yeah, really, really lucky. We get given um, accommodation. Um, Egypt was an allowance. So you get a monthly allowance and you can either, you know, find an apartment within that allowance, pay a bit more or find a place cheaper and, and save the cash if you want to. Uh, Vietnam, you are given accommodation. You have a choice of five properties that they find for you. And China is very similar. 
to to Vietnam. So yeah, accommodation is all paid for. Um, there are there are perks to teaching abroad, the the financial gain for sure. You, like I say, the accommodation, um, you get international medical cover, so you're covered for everything um, outside of America. Um, and um, uh, sorry, travel as well. So travel to and from school. That it's, it's very common for schools to offer you a um, a, a bus or, or some form of transport to and from school included within your package as well. So, what have been your uh, highs and lows in your teaching abroad career um, so far? Lows would be, if I'm being really honest, I'd say lows would be. Um, shown a little bit of inexperience and immaturity um being around teachers that have been teaching internationally Mm. or just been teachers for probably either as long as i've been alive or or not far you know not far from and you know there's been there's definitely been times where you know i've made mistakes or i've been put into these positive leadership positions and i've i've certainly learned the hard way um which I'm, you know, I'm grateful for, and it definitely has kind of made me stronger, and and I've learned from it. But, you know, there, there's been challenging times, and and those challenging times in the UK, you fall to your good friends that you've known for a long time, your family members, etc. You don't have that when you're abroad. You know, obviously you have Skype, you have FaceTime, whatever it may be, but you don't have that immediate kind of conversation, that immediate kind of chat face to face, or that kind of human interaction. Um, where you can kind of lean on someone that you trust. You have to kind of lean on people that, you know, you you don't know very well um, and you're in the same workplace. So it can, that that side of it can be really difficult. And, you know, I certainly have made my fair share of mistakes um, unintentionally and, you know, it's it, it's difficult. That you know, that side of it is is hard, um, mm. and it's something that you, as an international teacher, I think you regularly have to be mindful of, and you have to kind of overcome it. You know, and and it, t- it takes a lot sometimes. You know, it's it's um, you need sometimes to find a lot of inner strength for sure. Um, so that would be lo- that'll be a low point for sure. Um, and I'm sure those low points will continue. It's part and parcel, I think. You know, pros and cons. Um, Highs, I'd say, definitely the students I've taught, um, the different types of students, the different cultures, the different sense of humours, the different outlooks, the different even religions and things. It's, you know, it's just such a different way of living and a way of kind of approaching things. For me, that's been fascinating. Um, so much so that I've even, like, enrolled onto – I'm currently completing a master's course in international education – um i do believe that you know the the kind of motivation to start that course stemmed from the students that i've taught you know around the world and i wanted to kind of immerse myself more you know into it and and find out more about them and you know do some more research and yeah i'd say that's definitely been one of the the biggest highs for sure so um you've uh, this is something i should have asked earlier you've actually been in vietnam during the pandemic haven't you how was how was how did that impact um well the country um, and how did so it impact teaching? impact in the country um we went into a lockdown very early on in comparison to uk um i was in thailand uh over a christmas just before the pandemic came out or happened um and we came back and we went into lockdown i believe it was in february or march time i think we had about 
eight weeks worth of real lockdown. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, the, the country were phenomenal. Um, and people, how people responded to it was just incredible. You know, it was something that I've, I mean, obviously we've never seen anything like this before, but I've never seen people react to kind of government instructions and advice and things the way that the Vietnamese did. Um, and it clearly worked. It clearly made a positive impact because, because we came out of lockdown quite quickly and we haven't really gone back into a lockdown at all since. Um, the country has tried to maintain kind of keeping businesses open as best as they possibly can. Um, I mean, they shut down all international travel. They didn't let anybody in. Um, and people kind of leaving were only really people going back to their home countries. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of impact in the country, I mean, I'm sure it had an impact on finances and things. But from what I saw, um, the positive response from kind of the Vietnamese, it didn't last very long. And from what you see now, it's it's almost, I mean, it's almost exactly the same from when I first arrived before there was any such thing as, you know, the pandemic. So really, really positive reaction to it. Yeah. Um, and from what I hear in the UK, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful that I was here during it, to be honest. Um, in terms of school, yeah, we, 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 We've done a lot of teaching yeah. online, a lot of virtual learning. Um, we had to kind of change our curriculum, um, which has its own challenges as a PE department. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, we kind of, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was definitely, it was, oh, yes, it was a of unique course. experience. But, you know, I have to say, like, you know, everybody kind of got together um, and not just our school, like our kind of sister school, so to speak, because um, the Nord Angular School has four schools in Vietnam um, and we were sharing resources, you know, on a daily, you know, weekly basis at least, but if not daily basis. Um, and yeah, it was just really testing our kind of creativity and getting students as active as we possibly can whilst trying to include a little bit of physical actual education within, you know, the lessons. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we banked on a lot of resources over that time that we're going to keep forever for sure mentioned um that mm. teaching abroad doesn't always have sort of a great rep um why do you why do you think that is and how can that be changed because you're doing like you're doing amazingly well um abroad um so how um, do you think sort of that bad rep can be changed i'd say things like this to be honest you know podcasts where people in the in the actual living present moment are experiencing it can give honest kind of feedback honest kind of experiences um I feel a little bit like the 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 view comes from um how can I word this <laughs> um dated experiences um I think there's a there's a little bit of arrogance yeah. maybe as well this is just my opinion but a little bit of arrogance from people from the UK um and I'll be honest I, you know I put myself in that bracket when I was in the UK and I was un, unsure and undecided because that's what you're told from certain senior leaders or or people that have got than you and that naturally rubs off on your opinion um yeah and yeah I'd, I'd say making it more how do we change it making it more kind of um making people more aware of what goes on in the day-to-day -day running of the school so I've been quite lucky like I said I was a part of Malvern in Egypt and Malvern would regularly yeah. go to the UK or people from the UK would come to Egypt to see what we're doing um and I think things like that significantly change people's opinions because if you walked into a classroom or in my case, a sports field or a sports hall, um, what is going on in that area is no different to what is going on in the UK. 
Um, you know, it's the same sort of procedures. It's the same expectations. It's the same outcomes. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, it's just trying to show that, I guess, um, trying to highlight it more. Um, how we do that, I don't know exactly. But, yeah, things like this, podcasts for sure, um, lesson observations, making making lesson observations, you know, available online could be could be an alternative as well. And what has teaching and living abroad Ooh, taught you about yourself um, so far? That's a tricky one. Um, <laughs> I'd say I definitely um, reaffirmed my kind of passion and love for PE and sport. Um, so kind of a bit more just for myself. Um, I, I, I kind of like... I don't know if I should admit this, but I'd say I really like escaping from the teaching element or sorry, the, the education element sometimes and being on a sports field, sports coaching at after school clubs or weekends or wherever it may be. I like being around sport, sporting kind of environment, you know, that winning, losing competitive side. I really enjoy that. And that is something yeah. international schools is, is, is a big thing. Um, and I've definitely, you know, it's reaff- going abroad to reaffirm that for sure. Um, yeah, I would say um, physical education is a challenge and I've kind of learned how to adapt myself to encourage students to take part in physical education. What I mean by that is particularly more so here in Vietnam, parents um, of our students are not particularly um, overly interested or keen to, to encourage their student to take GCSE PE, for example, or even arts, you know, drama, music, etc. You know, in the UK, it's it's quite a, yeah. a common common theme that students would always kind of find some passion within the arts in some form. Um, that's not quite the case here in Vietnam, and I'm told in other countries in Asia as well, it's quite the stereotypical maths, English, science, and, and try and get the best grade as possible because we want our student to, our child to go on to be a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, work for the government, etc. So I've definitely learned ways of um, selling the subject, shall we say, and showing my passion and trying to encourage students and parents to kind of get on board with that. Um, and that's something that I kind of didn't know I had in me before I, I started teaching abroad, to be honest. So China is the next stop. So are you do you plan to return to teach in the UK? What's the sort of I don't know, long term not that you ha- not that you have to. I'm not trying to force you to come back if you don't want to. But um like so like in regards to teaching and you know, UK being home, what where where's your mind at? Do you plan to come back? Um or are you just going to no, no, um, stay abroad? Um, <laughs> I, no judgment. I like the, I'm really enjoying the master's <laughs> course at the moment and I'm really enjoying the reading side of things, the research side of things of education. And I have one eye quietly on maybe potentially <laughs> enrolling onto a PhD course after completing the master's. Um, and I think if I did that, yeah. then I would really be keen to return to the UK to work in a uh, university as a kind of PGCE, uh, PE trainer, you know, teacher, trainer, lecturer. Um, that I could see myself doing that for sure, yeah. whether that be in, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years time, I, I don't really know. Um, 
but I could I could see myself going back to UK to work in a university for sure. Um, other than that, I don't think I would return to the UK um, purely because I've kind of been there and, and you know, been in, in British kind of education in the UK. And like I said earlier on, for me, there's not a lot of difference of being in the British education system there and being abroad. So if I'm brutally honest, why not enjoy the perks of being yeah. able to travel and see some beautiful cities and countries that I would never see if I was in the UK? Um, because I could either not afford it or it just not be practical in terms of time. So, so yeah, other than returning to be a university lecturer, I, I can't see myself returning anytime soon. You're currently <laughs> recording this from a villa, yeah, so exactly. I don't blame you, Josh. <laughs> well, we've come to the end. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this episode. I'm sure the listeners will too, especially um, the teachers out there that are thinking about going to teach abroad but are not sure but yeah thank you so much Josh um, I've really enjoyed this episode um, thank you for coming on thank you very much for asking me to do it I do really appreciate it Grace it's great brilliant thank you so much bye Josh bye everyone